In Revelation 7, John says, After these things, in verse 1, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, literally from the sun rising. I saw an angel coming from the sun rising, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Now look at the list. I won't read it for you because it's repetitive. But Judah comes first, not Reuben, who's the oldest, because of the significance of Christ, who came from the tribe of what, class? Judah. Then Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. Strange. Joseph in there. When I thought his two sons had been given his inheritance. Well, next week we'll, we'll look at why that's true. And why is Benjamin there and not the other son? But notice the 12 tribes are represented. There is a parenthesis between the sixth seal of chapter 6 and the seventh seal of chapter 8. And the parenthesis is here in this chapter when John looks and sees four angels at the four corners of the earth. The four corners of the earth. And they are crotine, holding back or restraining judgment, represented by the four winds of the earth. Now remember, God is ready to, to unleash judgment on the earth during the tribulation period. But one other thing must be done. And the four angels are standing at the four corners and they are holding back the winds of judgment when all of a sudden John sees yet another angel coming from the sun rising. Oh, if you could just read the Greek and see the beauty of that language. It's a whole lot more poetic to say that he came from the rising of the sun than that he came from the east. But the translator gives it to you the best way he can. And there's an angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And notice what he cries. He cries with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. And he says, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, until something is done until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. It is 12, the number of completeness, as distinct from 7 for perfection. And it is 12 squared. So it is completeness completed or squared. And then it is thousands, 10 to the third power, so that you have 
the, the, the law satisfied 10 to the third power times completeness. And guess who these 144,000 are? Now, some say they're the church. Some say that they are the Jehovah's Witnesses. In fact, when they started, Judge Russell said there would only be 144,000 saved. It was a sad day when 144,001 were saved. They had to change just a little bit. But I believe it is a number which represents those throughout the 12 tribes during the tribulation period who have responded to the gospel of the kingdom. Don't try to make it anything other. In this sense, the plain sense makes common sense. And what does he say? They are from the, the tribes of the children of Israel. And so I see them as redeemed tribulation saints who have responded to the gospel of the kingdom in the tribulation period. And judgment is being restrained and held until something happens. Do not let judgment blow across the earth until everyone, even in this age, all of the tribulation servants have been sealed with the seal of God, which God has for every age. Now, the angel sealing the servants of God is a symbol of the truth that in every generation, God distinguishes us from unbelievers in order to preserve us from judgment, to assure us of his protection, and to hold us accountable for our separateness. We are to be separate. If you're a child of God, you've got a seal on you somehow this morning. If you are a child of God, God has sealed you in some way. In every age, God sealed his own as a sign of our separateness, as a sign of his protection, as a sign of our being spared judgment. God has always sealed his own. Now look around you and you can see some seals. This ring right here is sterling silver bought when there wasn't a whole lot of money. And I think it was $18 back in 1859. I think that's what this cost. My wedding band cost 18 bucks. And, uh, but that thing has worn well. But that is a seal, isn't it? What's it a seal of, class? What's it a sign of? That I what? I'm married and that I belong to somebody. Everybody who's got a seal on today, hold your hand up if you've got a seal. All right. Everybody who'd like to have a seal, hold your hand up. <laughs> a seal that I belong to someone. And someone wears a seal that I belong to him. Now, I think that if we understand this truth, that in every generation and in every age, God finds a different way to seal his own for several purposes, but to identify those who belong to him. And if we could understand that truth, it would save us from hypocrisy. Because whether you know it or not, your seal is showing 
And if it is not showing, it ought to show. For every private commitment, there ought to be some public manifestation of that private commitment. And for the people of God, it is a seal. And so I want to talk to you for a few minutes about what happens when God seals his servants. Now, there are four ways that the sign and the seal have meaning to God's people in every age. The first is this. The seal is a sign of faith. Even in the tribulation time, keep being reminded, folks, you've got a tremendous revival going on during this time of judgment. The time of judgment when violence increases as it increases in Winston-Salem. The time of judgment when marital breakdown and family life breaks down as has been happening in America. The sign of judgment ought to be a fertile ground for revival. And I believe that there will be a tremendous revival of people turning back to the Lord during the tribulation period. Now the church is raptured off. We're gone. We're in glory. We're not on the earth. But in chapter 7, you have two groups here. The first group is 144,000 in verse 4. But the second group is an even larger group. Look in verse 14. I said to them, to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And notice, while you can count the 144,000, this second group is a great multitude, verse 9, which no one could what? Nobody could count. So you have two distinct groups. The first group represents those in the beginning stage of the tribulation whose hearts have turned to God and whom God is going to seal as a sign that during that tribulation period, people will be turning to the Lord. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Somebody already asked me that this week. Will my unsaved relatives be able to be saved during the tribulation? Good question, isn't it? Now, let me remind you, the church will be done. The door of salvation as we know it will be ended. But there will be tribulation saints. There will be those turning to God. There's the 144,000. Then there's the great multitude who respond to the gospel of the kingdom. But now, lest you settle back into lethargy in concern for your unsaved relatives, let me remind you, if they won't turn to Christ when they have all this preaching and when they have the power of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it is a tremendous risk to assume that they will turn to God during the tribulation period when the main thing forcing them is judgment that is coming upon the earth. So the first thing that we need to understand about the seal in every age, the seal is a sign of faith. Tribulation believers will have a seal. I'll show you what I think that is in a moment. But their response to the gospel of the kingdom is a seal. Now think back with me throughout God's dealings with mankind. In Genesis chapter 12, when Abraham is walking down the main street of the Ur of the Chaldees on his way to Burger King for one of their specials, and he's got coupons from the local newspaper, God is speaking to him. 
And he says, I want you to move out of the Ur of the Chaldees to a land you do not know, to a people you do not know, with a language you do not know, for a purpose you do not know, but I want you to step out and obey me by faith. And Abraham did that. Now, you've got to understand that, that this becomes more significant several years ago, just maybe 10 or 11 years ago, when we uncovered some remains in the earth of the Chaldees, we found that the houses there had 15 and 20 rooms. It was an advanced civilization. And he was going to a country he didn't know to live in tents. He lived in a tent. He never saw everything God had for him. But one of the things that God asked of him was that as a sign, he would be circumcised. And this is long before Sinai. And this is long before Israel. This is a sign. I want you to be circumcised. Now turn, hold your hand here in Revelation, but turn back to Romans chapter 4. And Paul explains what this is in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, he talks about Abraham. And he says in verse 9, we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Verse 10. How then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. Now, as far as God is concerned, Abraham was counted, his faith was counted for righteousness when he stepped out and obeyed God, even before the circumcision. But now, Paul goes on to say in verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So he's saying, you Gentiles don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved because God counted Abraham's faith as righteousness before he was circumcised, but even then God still put a sign on him. Now, as Christians, we, we don't require circumcision. But there is another seal. There is another sign of the seal. And that sign takes place in that baptistry. And for us, baptism is a sign of faith as circumcision was a sign of faith already exercised in the life of Abraham. And that is why we never disparage baptism. We take it seriously. It is a testimony. It is a sign. And it is a sign of the seal. Now hold your hand here in Colossians 2. Or hold your hand here in Revelation and go back to Colossians 2. And Paul tells us that. He says in Colossians 2.11, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. The circumcision we have is a circumcision of the heart in which God cuts away from the heart the deadness of works and the deadness of life without Christ, and our hearts are circumcised. Now, what does he identify that with? Verse 12. Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. 
So to the believer, baptism is a sign of the circumcision of the heart. It is a sign of the seal of faith. And every believer of every age, including Abraham, had some kind of a sign of a seal which indicated that he believed. In Mr. Alter's class, his fifth grade class at Lake Elementary School in Oceanside, California last year, little Ian O'Gorman, 11 years old, contracted lymphoma cancer. They sent Ian to the doctor and the treatments were causing his hair to come out in huge, large clumps. And Ian decided that he would go ahead and have his head shaved. And it's become fairly popular to have your head shaved. I do confess it would be a lot easier to get ready for church on Sunday morning if all of us men would shave our heads. But then you would not know which was your husband if everybody came in with a shaved head. Half of you wouldn't recognize us. I mean, just suppose, all of, just suppose all of us men agreed to shave our heads next Sunday coming to church. How would you distinguish one from the other? But anyway, Ian O'Gorman shaved his head and came to class. And two days later, every one of the 14 boys in that class had had their heads shaved. Ten-year-old Alan... Kiesler decided that he would be the first. And he went down to his barber and he said, shave my head completely because I don't want Ian to be embarrassed because he's the only boy in the class with his head shaved. And I don't want everybody looking at him knowing he's got cancer just because he had his head shaved. And the next day, the entire rest of the class had their heads shaved. Wouldn't you have loved to have been in those houses and heard the discussion between those little boys and their, their moms and dads? I'm getting my head shaved. Dad, can I go to the barber? I just took you last week. But you see, what they wanted to do was to identify with each other because they didn't want one another to stand out. When Sean O'Gorman, Ian's father, heard of it, he just wept when the reporter interviewed him. He said, I cannot believe that 10 and 11-year-old boys could have such empathy. But the flip side of that was that Mr. Alter had to learn how to identify the boys all over again because they all had the same mark. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't care whether you lived under the law or you lived under Abraham or you lived in the church age or you lived in the tribulation. You cannot hide from God. You cannot run from the Lord. You have an obligation to God. You have been sealed. You have been marked. And somehow, some way, it will come out. And you can only practice your hypocrisy and your Mr. Jekyll and or Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde religion only so long because it will come out. Because you, if you really belong to Jesus, you have a seal. There is a way which you manifest which you really, that you really have faith and you belong to the Lord. Eleven years ago, I preached a message that I had wrestled with myself. 
I preached it to the high school seniors on their graduation, entitled, Others May, But You Cannot. And many of you have said to me, I don't understand how he gets away with that. I don't understand how he can do that. If I didn't, something would happen to me in a moment. I would be caught. I want you to know this. If you're sealed with a seal of God, you can only get away with so much sin and you will be caught because of the seal. So the seal is first a sign of faith. Secondly, the seal is a sign of ownership. So during the tribulation, when the judgment falls on everyone else, these 144,000, and I think it's symbolic. I don't think it has to be exactly 144. It stands for the totality of Israel as a nation and as God's people turning to the Lord during the tribulation as God gets ready to restore the temple worship and, re- and prepare the kingdom for Christ to come back. This is, is a, a symbolic number that there will be folks out of all of Israel who will come back to the land who will respond to the gospel of the kingdom and will be marked with a seal before God pours out judgment on the earth. Now hold your hand here and go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's get another hint as to what this seal is composed of. First, we know it's a sign of faith and that today we have the sign of baptism, which is a sign of faith in a risen Christ. But in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, Paul gives us another clue about the seal. And here it is. In verse 19, Nevertheless, the the solid foundation of God stands having this, what's the word, class? What is it? Seal. There it is. Same word. Having this seal. Now, what is the seal that we have in this age? The seal is that the Lord knows those who are his, And therefore, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So I am sealed as a sign of ownership. I am sealed and marked and characterized by a pure life. I cannot do what others do. I cannot be like others are. You cannot do what others do because you have the seal of God. What is that seal? Let everybody who carries the name of Jesus make a decision to depart from adultery and fornication and lying and stealing and deception and all manner of unrighteousness. That's my seal. How many of you have had somebody at work come up and say to you, why are you different? Why would you laugh at the dirty jokes I tell? Why is your language different? I read an important survey. The average American man has and uses in his vocabulary 58 obscenities or profanities. 58. Why don't you go home this afternoon and make a list of yours and confess them and forsake them? And the average American woman only has 28 men. Don't you make women more like men. (laughs) The average American woman has only 28 in her vocabulary. Let everyone who names the name of Jesus change the way he talks. That's your seal. That's your sign. 
That is a sign that you belong to God. What characterizes you as belonging to the Father if he's put his name on you? So the seal of God is his name you carry, which results in a pure, pure life. I had the most unusual experience of my lifetime this week. You know, I was thinking, somebody thinks it's boring to be a preacher. Uh, you, you just ought to follow me for a week and watch the exciting things that happen to me, even at this retiring stage of life or whatever, flat-tired stage of life. I, Monday night, I, I, I take a preaching engagement out every now and then just to see what I can do. Monday night... I went to Durham to preach in one of these Monday night revivals. The week before, Charles Stanley was to have been there, and Paige Patterson is coming next week. And in between Paige Patterson and Charles Stanley, they sandwiched Mark Quartz. They didn't know what they were in for. And when I got done preaching, and when I was through giving the invitation, so help me. Now, I've been in 51 countries of this world. I preached all over on virtually every continent. A man walked up to me and said to me, Mark Quartz, meet Mark Quartz. He's got my name. I couldn't believe it. Why, Mark is, is different enough, but Quartz is unheard of. And to have another Mark Quartz living in North Carolina? He said, yes. He said, when I moved to Durham two years ago, everybody started telling me. Everywhere I went, they would say, have you met the preacher in North Carolina named Mark Quartz? And he said, I've wanted to meet you, and I came tonight to meet somebody with my name. And I said, how old are you? He said, 32. I said, well, I had it before you did. <laughs> and then I said to him, watch your step. <laughs> if you've got my name, be careful what you do with that name. Amen? How many of you have ever found somebody with exactly your name? You ever? Well, you know, this is the first one. I thought with a name like Mark Quartz, I would never be. He's going to come and visit. I'm going to introduce him. What he doesn't know is when I introduce him, I'm going to make him preach that morning. <laughs> but when you take the name of Jesus, you take a seal upon you. Which is why here is the foundation of God. Your faith in him in which you take his name is a seal which requires that you depart from iniquity and you leave iniquity behind. Now it makes sense to me why Jesus said so many times, the shepherd knows his sheep, the father knows who I am, I know my sheep. Back here in Revelation, look at this if you will. Do you see in the book of Revelation, in chapter 13, the Antichrist, when he is revealed, the Antichrist puts a mark on everybody in the world, a seal if you please. Verse 15, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And now here's wisdom. 
Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. It is the number of a man. His number is six, six, six. If seven is the perfect number, six is the number of what? Imperfection. Man, three times. Third power. But the key to understanding this is that Satan always tries to duplicate what God does. And when God seals his servants, Satan now wants to seal his servants. And you've got to understand that the seal of the Antichrist, the 666, is a reaction to the positive sealing that God did when he seals every one of those tribulation saints with his seal. It is a sign of ownership. Romans chapter 14. Then I looked and behold, a lamb, verse 1, standing on Mount Zion and with him, here they are, 144,000 having what on their foreheads, class? What was on there? Having their father's name. It is the name, the sign of ownership. And again, you see it in verse 4. These are the ones who were not defiled with women. See, they are virgins representing their purity because they have the name of God. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They, these were redeemed from among men and are first fruits of the tribulation order of the tribulation saints. They are first fruits to God and to the Lamb. Let me move on. Third, the seal is not only a sign of uh, ownership, and it is a sign of faith, but it is a sign of protection. It is a sign of protection. As God puts his seal on the tribulation saints, the angels are restrained, but when they are let loose, the judgment will fall on everybody else. But those who are sealed are protected from the condemnation and the judgment of God. Now, I want you to turn back over here to the book of Joshua, all the way in the Old Testament. Go back to the book of Joshua and chapter 2. We have a wonderful type of this ceiling in Rahab, the Gentile harlot. And the scripture declares that when the spies came into the land, they were sheltered and protected by Rahab. And so the scripture says that she testified to them they had heard about how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea in verse 10. And in verse 11, as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a token. See that? Give me a seal. Now go on down to verse 17. The men said, all right, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. Now, if you want to be rescued, when we take the city of Jericho, be sure to hang that scarlet cord in the window. And bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. You know, I'm intrigued by that. Have you ever thought about that? They said, we're not going to. Now, if it had been me, I would have said, now, now don't bring too many people because we can't protect but boy, just one. <laughs> but they knew she would never be happy in Israel unless she had her whole family saved. Amen? And that's why they said, bring your father's house. Bring everybody in. 
We'll take care of them and hang the scarlet cord on the window so that when we come into the land, when we come into the land and we see that scarlet cord, it will be a sign, a seal, and we will protect you and preserve you because a seal is also a sign of protection. And when God sealed his tribulation servants, he is saying, you will be spared from the judgment that I pour out on this earth. And now, I'm sorry to ring that bell one more time, folks, but you cannot escape it in the book of Revelation. All throughout, God is saying, while the rain falls on the just and the unjust, the judgment of God will fall only on the unjust. Now, there are some things God does not spare us from. God does not spare me from birth defects. God does not spare us from inherited weaknesses. But with a judgment that God pours out on this earth, we are spared that because he has promised. Because we are sealed and the seal of God is a sign of protection. It means I belong to him. It means I have faith in him. And it means he has taken responsibility for me and for my family. Amen. What a wonderful truth. And in every age that is true, every age, it reveals security. In the Passover in Exodus, when the death angel was sent to destroy the land, he passed over only one class of persons. What was that? Those who had the sign of the blood on the, on the mantle, on the doorpost. And that was a seal of God. And it was a sign of protection. We had a little bit of a Vernon family reunion yesterday. Some of my relatives from around the country came in over in High Point, the Vernon side, of, which is my mother's side of the family. And um, as I watched down to three and four generations, I remember I had a godly grandmother now, my grandfather was not a spiritual leader in that home, but I had a godly grandmother, my mother's mother, my grandma Vernon. I remember, I remember many things about her. I remember she could make the best iced tea I ever drank in my life. Isn't that funny how you remember that? I mean, 98 years ago, I can remember. She made the best homemade bread, but my grandmother knew how to pray. She was a god. She was one of these picturesque, godly grandmothers, white hair with a little bun, you know, in the back of her head. And, uh, and she was a godly woman. And when I looked at that family and her testimonies down to three and four and five generations, I thought, Lord, how faithful you are. When you put a seal on a family... And that seal is passed to children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. And if Grandma Vernon could just see how God has passed that seal, she would rejoice. Surely she understands that in glory. I believe there is a sign, a seal of protection on those families. And there was that sign, that seal of Passover that was passed from generation to generation whenever the sign of the blood on the mantle was raised. I had to go by the airport to pick up mom and dad late Thursday night and I ran into three or four members on the way in. And when I got in there were Ed and Sarah Lynn Pat waiting for Alyssa to come back after being gone for a year of ministry in the Middle East. And they had a big computer, you know, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, what am I trying to say, banner. And they had several signs and they'd been waiting there since six o'clock. 
This is now quarter of 11. <laughs> and of course, Alyssa didn't know but what I was there to meet her too. So I just, you know, joined in the crowd. And we had such a kick out of holding up those signs. It was a lot of fun to stand up there and say, welcome back, Alyssa. We love you. We're here. And everybody was looking around, and some had already been there when the plane should have come in, and it didn't come in. And uh, one guy said, well, have you been paid by the airport just to create this party spirit out here? What's going on? She hasn't come. You've been here since all this time. And Ed did finally say, if she doesn't come on this flight, I'm going to pin a $20 bill to this poster, and I'm leaving. <laughs> he wouldn't have done that, of course. But when... She stepped off that plane. There is that sign, that poster. There is that banner. There is her family waiting for her. After all those hours of travel from the Middle East, she is home and she is back again under the safety and the protection of her family, which loves her. That's what the cord was to Rahab. That's what the blood was on the mantle. That's what that sign is to Alyssa. You are home. You are safe. You are under Father's protective care. He will not desert you. He'll be there when you step off that plane. And that's what the tribulation saints' message is. And there is a fourth one, and then we'll close. The seal is a sign of presence. Somehow, I believe that in the middle of that tribulation, with the judgment coming down, with the seals being opened and poured out on the earth, there is something about the countenance of those folks, those, those who are redeemed, who have responded to the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the tribulation period. There's something about their countenance that will mark them and distinguish them to the world. And the world will know there's something special, which is why it will bring down the wrath of the world on them. And there will be more martyrs during that tribulation period. Now follow with me quickly and then we'll close. Ephesians chapter 1. Now notice what Paul says as he reminds all of us in verse 13. Ephesians 1.13, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, in our age, the primary seal is the seal of God's Spirit living in us. But, folks, that seal of the Holy Spirit has many manifestations. For us, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee, verse 14, of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, our bodies, to the praise of His glory. I have the Holy Spirit. And any way that he manifests himself in my life is a sign of the presence of God in my life. Now hold, well, you don't need to hold that. Just go back to Exodus 34. Now go back to Exodus 34. When Moses went up on the mount in Exodus 34 and stood in the presence of God and then returned... When he came down the mountain, verse 29 of chapter 34 of Exodus, it was so that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and he had the tablets, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. There was a glory. He'd been in the presence of God and he could not hide that fact. It was a seal to all of Israel 
a mark, a sign he had been in the presence of God. And Israel was so taken by the glory of his being in the presence of God that in verse 35, the skin of Moses' face shone and Moses had to put a veil on his face until he went in to speak with him again because the glory was more than the people could take. And when you come to Acts chapter 6, go to Acts chapter 6 in the New Testament, and Stephen is standing there confronting the, the Sanhedras. And the scripture declares in Acts chapter 6, verse 9, there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and spirit by which he spoke. And verse 15 says, all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of a what class? When he'd been in the presence of God, there was an inescapable, undeniable, incontrovertible sense of the glory of God about him and the world knew immediately even the world, even the unsaved Sanhedrin council could not resist the wisdom by which he spoke because he'd been in the presence of God and the presence of God was manifested in his life and the glory of God shone around him. Have you ever seen people like that? When you've been in the presence of God, there's an inescapable mark about you. There's a seal. The world will know something is at work in your life. There's the presence of God. And you know, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul forecasts that there's coming a day when the blindness of Israel will be removed, the veil will be removed. And they will behold the Messiah, and they will accept the Messiah. I think that prophecy in 2 Corinthians 3 is fulfilled in Revelation chapter 7. When Israel finally turns to the Messiah, and God puts the mark, the seal on them. And it is his glory, his unmistakable glory and the world will know. You remember Judas Iscariot in John 14 asked Jesus how you manifest yourself to us and not to the world? <laughs> and Jesus said, I'll do it by the Holy Spirit. And that's when he gave his great prophecy of the Holy Spirit. To empower you to love. That's a seal. That's a mark. I'm going to tell you, folks, if you really belong to Jesus, you can't hide it but so long. If you really belong to Christ, you can't hide it but so long. If you're in the presence of God, you can't hide it but so long. It will come out. I went to Jason Bruno's little reception that Marlene and Rocco threw for him this week. Threw. That's not a nice, what do you do? You don't throw one. What do you do? You conduct one. You whatever. And his young bride, raised in Second Baptist Church of Houston, a great church, said to me, he came to visit our office in Houston, and as I talked with him, he slipped and said something about having a quiet time. And I knew 
that I was in the presence of a young man who knew something about the Lord. That's what she said. That's what she told me. And I went home and told my mother, said, I don't know much about him yet, but I know at least he knows the right language because he slipped and talked about a quiet time. When you belong to Jesus, you've got a seal on you and you can't hide it but so long. I'm ashamed that my seal doesn't show more. Father, prepare us in this day to let our seals shine in darkness. Put us in your presence and let thy glory so flood every place we go that men will know we name your name. We depart from sin. Let us wear proudly the badge of faith, the badge of ownership, the badge of protection, and the badge of your presence because we're different. In Jesus' name, amen.